0: Israel's story, it goes like this. Moses rescues the people from Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, right up to the promised land, but dies before he can take them in. Joshua becomes the new Moses and leads God's people, conquering conquering one land, like Jericho, at a time. And so this is how the book of Joshua comes to an end. It actually has a very pretty bow that gets tied to the end of the book of Joshua. Listen to how chapter 21 ends. 21, this is verses 43 through 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to their ancestors that he would give them. And they've taken possession of it. And they've settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as he had sworn to the ancestors. Not one of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into the hands of Israel. Not one of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. Well, that's just lovely. Everything came to pass, but it doesn't last. What comes next is the book of Judges, and it is the worst, if not the greatest, disordering of all the books in the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to dive in today in the book of Judges. So let's get into it. Joshua crosses into the promised land and he meets adversary after adversary while spreading Israel from region to region. You'll remember that Israel divides itself into 12 tribes of Judah over the course of 11 different regions with the Levites being the priests in all of the other 11 tribes. But it doesn't go as smoothly as Joshua tries to make it in his book. Because listen to how Judges 1 opens. Manasseh fought, but did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages. Ephraim fought, but did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Zebulun fought, but did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalol. These are just... Three of 11 more lines that we get in Judges 1, the list seems to be endless of Israel trying to fight, but not really securing their land. What this tells us is that Israel may have taken charge of the promised land, but they're still living amongst their enemies. Think about that. This notion that they would be the only people group in the promised land was a false assumption. They aren't the only people who get to live in the land of milk and honey. They were called to be a light to the other nations who were already there. But instead, they choose to go to war. Which is a huge point that you need to know about scripture and... Even our faith. What Israel is attempting is to maintain order. But it inevitably gives way to disorder. Because order is never strong enough to sustain us on its own. Order is typically too small, too narrow. It is never fully accurate or the whole picture. The Israelites were never going to be the only people group in the promised land. But they kind of thought they were supposed to be. And they fell into disorder. And so here's what we're arguing with this sermon series. It's multifaceted, but I think you can get it. We need disorder. It's a natural succession to order. And we really shouldn't be afraid of it. But we do have to learn to be conscious to it. And it's very hard to see disorder when you're in the thick of it. You've heard the old adage that hindsight is 20-20. Well, that very much applies here. Here's a good example. Think of someone that you know who went through a terrible divorce. Their order of their marriage gave way to the pain of disorder. But eventually... Over time, they were able to reorder the pieces of their lives. And now, they're stronger, better, more rooted in who they are than they ever were before. They took what disorder taught them, and they found resurrection. But when they were going through the pain of disorder, they didn't know what was going to come after that. Disorder is just awful. It feels terrible. But if you can stay with the process, eventually you'll see that disorder, it actually has something to show and to teach us. And I think that's what Judges is doing in our Bible. It's a terrible book, but yet it helps offer us a window Into how we can learn from the underbelly of terrible human decisions. So two weeks ago, I asked you to do some canonical research with me, which means we get up on the balcony and we look down at the pages of scripture and we watch the trends of what's going on on the dance floor. We pay attention to the movements that you can only see from the vantage point of the balcony. Now, it's always very good to get into the weeds of Scripture and to do word studies, but it's also very good to take an aerial view and to see the major movements. And what you'll notice is Israel is ordered, disordered, and reordered over and over again. And when you get up on the dance floor of just the book of Judges, then you'll notice that it's got its little pattern Two, it primarily serves as the transition into disorder. So here's a little bit about the book of Judges. The whole book follows the arc of 12 Judges. There's a few other characters that are thrown in there, a Levite and another king who is Gideon's son, Abimelech. But for by and large, the book of Judges follows the reign of or the leadership, of 12 different people. Well, when you get up on the balcony of the, judge, of the book of Judges, what you see is that the first six are very good judges. They do a really good job for the community. They spread the land. They actually help lead the people, and they are people who listen to God and help interpret the law. If you think of a bell curve, The book of Judges functions very similarly. The first six judges do a great job. The next six are some of the worst humans in all of humanity. And so that's what I need you to hold this morning. You can't go through all the judges in 20 minutes. We don't have time to do that. But you should do it on your own now that you know it track who they are and the lives they live and how scripture talks about them it really is a fascinating bible study it's eye-opening even if we just name a few of them and so that's what i want to do this morning is just talk about a couple of these judges but one more detail before i do biblical judges are similar to how we understand judges today but with a little bit of a twist In the Bible, they do carry the primary function of interpreting and administering the law, just like today. But they are also, in the Bible, charismatic military leaders. Here's a great example. Take Deborah from Judges chapter 4. She is definitely an interpreter of the law. The Israelites would come to her while she sits under a shade tree and she would decipher arguments and then offer a verdict. Scripture even goes as far as calling Deborah a prophet. But she was also a military leader. Scripture also says that the major military leaders refused to go into battle without Deborah leading the ranks. She was a warrior and a scholar. And if you think about American history, this really isn't all that far off. Think about when we elected George Washington as our first president. Was he the best candidate in all of America to be president? Who knows? But what he was, was a military leader. And he had earned the respect of the people. So we put him in charge of the law. Well, it's no different in the book of Judges. So get back on the balcony with me. When you look down at these 12 judges, you will notice a four-step pattern. Israel does something stupid to offend God. They start worshiping other people's idols, or they make political relationships with their neighbors who were really their adversaries, and they get themselves in a bind. And so then God gets angry is step two. And then step three, Israel prays for God to intervene. We have done something we cannot fix. And step four, God raises up a military leader to help fix the problem at hand. Now, the first judge is Othniel, and he is the perfect example for how this four-step rhythm unfolds. I want to read you his story. It's not long. This is from Judges chapter 3 starting in verse 7. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, forgetting the Lord their God and worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. But when the Israelites cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the Israelites who delivered them. Othniel, was Caleb's younger brother. Well, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war for them. And the Lord gave King Cushan of Aram into Othniel's hands. So the land laid rest for 40 years until Othniel died. So for eight years... You get that previously in Judges 3. They were held captive by their adversaries because they were worshiping foreign gods. But then God raises up a judge, Othniel. And for 40 years, Othniel leads them into a season of peace. Israel cries to God. God responds by sending them a leader. This is supposed to be the rhythm of the book of Judges. So then judge number two is Ehud. He has an amazing story you should read sometime. The third one might be my favorite, Shemgar. His story is one verse long. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. This is the story of Shimgar. After he came, Shimgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines by himself, with an ox goad he too delivered israel that's it that's the story of shimgar you know there's probably a lot more that went into his leadership and who he was as an individual but all we get in scripture is that he held an ox goad in his hand and killed 600 philistines and he led israel into a season of peace i just think that is absolutely awesome that is the only detail we get of this wonderful leader's life. What we do keep getting in the book of Judges, though, is this line that ends verse 31 He too delivered Israel. We see it multiple times over Othniel delivered Israel, Ehud delivered Israel, Shemgar delivered Israel, Deborah delivered Israel. It shows you the military might of the judges. So then comes Deborah, who I think is the best of them all. Her story is worth reading, every sentence of it in Judges chapter 4. She is amazing, and as we said, she was a prophet too, only to be followed by another woman, Jael. Another woman who is an amazing story, who actually has some pretty significant battle scenes in Judges chapter 5. And then comes chapter 6, Gideon. The story of Gideon is really neat. And you probably know the story. He was a young boy and an angel shows up and then he leads an army of 300 to take on thousands and God shows up and he wins. And he enters into this season of peace. But the problem with Gideon is that all the power eventually takes over and he decides that he wants to become Israel's first king. And that's when everything goes downhill. Because then Gideon's son, Abimelech, gets old enough to kill everyone in his own family and anoints himself as Israel's king. If that sounds terrible to you, it is. And it only gets worse from there. And this is the rhythm we see in Judges. After Abimelech dies, what raises up is another leader that, honestly, his story is so bad, it cannot be read in church in the presence of children. It's that terrible. And it is recorded in the pages of your Bible And his name is Japheth. And you've probably heard the story of Japheth's daughter. Well, he's horrible and a terrible judge and ransacks Israel. And there is a ton of desecration because of his leadership. And then more come after him. Ibsen, Elon, Abdon, and even Samson. A lot of us love the story of Samson, but the truth is, he is a selfish, narcissistic, self-entitled human who ruins everything for everybody. If you go back and read the story of Samson, there are hundreds, thousands of people who are killed because of some personal fetish that he has. He was a terrible leader. So... The book of Judges, the early ones are great. The later ones are terrible. And that pattern moves Israel into decades of disorder. God tries to raise up leaders, but they had turned themselves into some of the worst group of people, some of the lowest groups of people, in all of humanity. The pattern of Israel disintegrates in the book of Judges. The variations of the pattern become very frequent as you move from judge to judge. And here's an interesting detail. There are 12 narrative arcs in this book. And by the time you get to the end, it stops even mentioning the name of God. The first several judges listened to God. They followed God. They did well. They worshiped God, and they wanted to do what Yahweh told them. By the end, Yahweh is not even mentioned in the chapters or the storylines. Is that intentional? When you get up on the balcony and you look at the book of Judges, absolutely it's intentional. That's how far Israel had disintegrated where they were no longer even calling on the name of the Lord. There's actually a refrain as the book comes to an end. You read it four or five times. During this time, there was no king in Israel. That's the refrain. You just hear it over and over like the author of the book is lamenting the fact that they just don't have good leadership. And that's how the book of Judges ends. It is a wrecking ball in the pages of Scripture, and it acts perfectly as Israel segues into disorder. So, I know what you're probably thinking. As fascinating as that may be, what in the world does that have to do with us this many years later? I had a professor tell me once that all of us are born with a road map in hand. And for the majority of our life, we use this road map to navigate the twists and turns and bumps of life. If you live long enough, you start realizing that there are other people, though, that share the same space as you. And they're carrying their own maps. But their map says something different than what your map does. They have different end goals, different perspectives, different ways of moving and navigating the world. So some people put down the map they were born with and they pick up someone else's thinking it's more right and more true than theirs. There are others that take their map and lay everybody else's map out around them and then they start picking and choosing what makes the most sense to them now that they're seeing a larger landscape. Regardless of what you do with your map, What becomes painstakingly clear if you live long enough is that there's not one map to lead everyone. There are different ways to order yourself and there are lots of ways to become disordered. It's not wrong to live a particular way, but what I have learned in my life, what I see in the lives of Israel That if you're going to double down on your map and your map only, then we are going to live a far too simplistic reality. The Israelites were led into the land of milk and honey. But it's way more complicated than just frolicking by the seashore. They're now having to live as a light amongst their enemies. And they're going to have to figure out what that looks like they're going to have to learn to navigate with new maps. The same is true for us. I think these are real questions that we need to ask ourselves of how have we moved in and out of disorder in our lives? I was talking with church members this week that reminded me as they're wrestling with this concept of order, disorder, and reorder. Reorder is not returning to order. You can't wish your children to be two, three, and four years old again. Reorder is finding depth and meaning that you experienced way back then. You may carry the joy in your heart of wishing to feel or to hear the laughter of a baby, but your kids are long grown now. But you can reorder your life to have that joy again. You just have to work through the disorder to find it. This is the quest that Israel is going to go on. And next week we're going to see that they get lost into a terrible season of their life where they were pushed out of their land entirely because they couldn't navigate the disorder. So what does this have to do with you? You have to admit that the way that you used to be isn't going to be how your life ends. That there was pain in the midst of it somewhere. But you can move through it. It can teach you something of what it means to be more rooted in who you are if you'll learn from it. Israel... Took a long time to learn from the mistakes of the people and leaders of Judges. If you refuse to admit that disorder has entered your life, it'll take you a long time to leave it too. That's the lesson we learn from Israel. And I'll be honest, it's a doozy. Next week, we'll explore even more of the pain of what that disorder looks like, but I will leave you with the hope of Christ. God doesn't leave us in disorder. God pulls you in to reorder constantly. That's the story of resurrection. Disorder is Good Friday, but Sunday is always coming. So i offer that to you as well. If you feel disordered, which how do we not? A global pandemic. Church has been flipped upside down for the rest of our lives. Our social constructs have been flipped upside down for the rest of our lives. So will we sit in disorder and let it dwell over us? Or do we learn from it and we seek to partner with God to reorder something beautiful from it? Well, You'll have to come back in six weeks because we'll talk about that then. What I hope you'll admit now, we've all been disordered, but we can still learn something from it.